This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. Let's go to Lynette and Sam Bruno. How are you doing, Lynette? Oh, fine, thank you. I really enjoy listening to your program. I listen to it on a daily basis. Thank you. The question I have today is, uh, through a divorce settlement, I received a profit-sharing plan mm-hmm. uh, through my ex-husband. Uh, he's uh, self-employed, and I rolled it over into an IRA. Good, good, it, good, good. It is in cash. I was wondering if I, and I'm not allowed to add any more to it, can I take that cash within an IRA? and invest it in stocks? or do Yes. I have to- you can invest that IRA in almost anything you want. It would be difficult to buy property. Not impossible to buy property, but difficult. There's lots of rules. But you can, like, buy mutual funds with it. You can buy a CD with it. You can buy stocks. You can buy ETFs. You can buy bonds. Mm-hmm. You can do anything you want. Oh, good. I don't have to keep it in cash then. No, you do not. And how old are you, Lynette? Uh, 59 and a half. Okay. When do you start to need to take the money? When I'm 70. Okay. You don't think you need it before then? No. Perfect. Then you, what you want to do is hire somebody like me <laughs> or do it yourself mm-hmm. and buy stocks or mutual funds. I see. Because you have a good long time, nine years or so. Mm-hmm. And the market, almost in any 10-year period, the stock market is higher from this day 10 years from now, the stock market will be higher. And if you want to talk about it more, Lynette, just call me at the office. I'll be happy to talk to you about sure, it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Lynette. Hi, Steve or Justin. I love your show and appreciate your advice. I'm curious about what account would be best to trade on there. I have a Roth IRA and individual trading account. Which one would be better for making trades and investments? Thank you. Well, if you're trading a lot and you're creating short-term capital gains, then a tax-deferred account like a Roth IRA would be the best. If you're a buy and holder and you're typically not selling very often, then those type of investments are better in maybe taxable accounts because you're not creating taxable events very often. So depends on how much you trade. For most traders, a tax-deferred account is best. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, 888-992-4278. How are you doing, Manuel? I love you guys' the show. I've been listening for about three months, and I learned a lot of good stuff. My question for you today was, the company I work for matches us in our 401k with their own stock, and they're telling me that the stock's going to split. You know, I know that you end up with twice as many shares, but why, why does it split is my question. Okay, good question, Manuel. I bet you there's a lot of people out there that want to know why it does that. Why does a company split? Do you know if it's going to split two for one? I'm not sure. Somebody, one of the other guys that's always paying attention to his okay. 401k a lot more than I do will tell okay. me that today. Well, just to let you know that a most common split is two stocks for one, but they don't do that all the time. Sometimes it's three for two or five for three. You can do different ones. Uh-huh. But most common is two for one, so we'll try to stick with that. 
So what's happening is, is you had one share before at, let's say it was $50 a share. Then you're going to have two shares at $25 a share. So you didn't really increase the value of your holdings at all. Splits do not increase the value of anything. They just give you more shares. Now, why would they do that? One of the main reasons they do that, Manuel, is, is to lower the price of the stock to make it more attractive for more people to buy. Think about this. What if the stock price was $1,500 per share? How many people would be able to buy 100 shares or 50 right, no, shares? Not too many. <laughs> That's right. So they keep splitting. Microsoft did this all throughout all its history when it first started. Split two for one. So did Qualcomm, Qualcomm, which is a huge San Diego stock. Actually, yeah. I, I owned Qualcomm before it split. So I have... You can see if it never split, the price would be so high that not yeah. too many people would buy it. The most common reason, Manual, is that they wanted to lower the price to be more attractive to more people. Um, the second reason they do it, the second reason they do it, is to get more liquidity. In other words, if they split it two for one, they have twice as many shares out there to trade. Oh, okay. It's more liquid. More people can buy and sell. Same, it's related to the first reason, but that's the only reason why they split the shares. Okay. Does that sound good? Well, that answered my question. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, man. I appreciate the call. Hello, my name is Hugh, and I'm 23 years old. I was wondering what I should be focusing on as someone that's new to investing. Thank you. Okay. You probably shouldn't be focusing on individual stocks because you're new. You probably want to focus on buying ETFs of indexes, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Dow, the Russell 2000, buying an index until your knowledge grows. And then you can start buying individual stocks. But if you're new and you're just not, you know, you just don't have the knowledge yet, don't try to buy individual stocks. It's, it's much more difficult than you might realize. Stick with the indexes. That's what I would suggest. Let's go to Thane in Antioch. Hi, Thane. How you doing? Good. I had a uh, general question for you. Sure. My mom has entrusted me with $50,000. Her net worth is probably about two hundred. Okay. But she wants me to do some conservative, you know, so I was thinking some dividend-paying stocks, mm-hmm. and, you know, she wouldn't mind if that 50 dropped to uh, 45 or something, but if it dropped much more, she'd probably start getting a little bit nervous on me. Okay. Uh, conservative. You really shouldn't use the word conservative and individual stocks in the same sentence. Now, there are less risky stocks than risky stocks. I I will give you that. But the word conservative probably is a wrong term. Let's talk about what would be good for your mom. I would suggest large dividend paying stocks like you have just suggested. Stocks that we know do not go down too much, don't go too up too much. They're kind of staying the same. If you do me a favor, make sure you get about 10 or 15 different stocks. Okay. Of this nature. There's that against the rules. Yeah, you know that 3% rule. Thane, if you give me a call in the office tomorrow, I'll be happy to give you some names. Mm -hmm. I don't mind helping people where I can help them. But I can't give names out over the air and just do these. If you ask me a question about a stock, I'll be happy to answer it. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now. You're listening. 
listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, my name is Joe. I have a question for your show. I'm curious about your thoughts on the copper space as a commodity and copper miners in particular. I'm considering taking a long term position in that space and just wondering what your thoughts are. Thanks, and I'll be listening on the podcast. Well, I do like the commodity space as a whole. And if we do have some large infrastructure spending, I think that this will be an area that will do very, very well because copper is used in uh, almost all building uh, of some type, whether that's infrastructure or homes or or office buildings, whatever. Uh, copper is used extensively. So I like the copper space. Uh, I like a lot of the miners. They're very cheap. So in general, I like it without getting into specific companies. I like the copper space. Let's go to Art, Menlo Park. How are you doing, Art? Hi, Steve. Um, I just wanted to uh, just try to get a little feedback on uh, my retirement. Um, sure. Right now, uh, I'm, I'm looking at within the next five years or so, uh, leaving the company. Okay. And right now, I've we're in uh, Vanguard, and I got like a uh, bulk of my um, funds in uh, PrimeCap. That's yes. about half. Right. I'm kind of like uh, divert more into like Wellington, yes, and uh, into the money market right now. Okay. And I was just actually just wondering, like, if the market goes up, you know, the fourteen or fourteen five area. Yes. I was wondering uh, what you felt like uh, if I were to like divest some of the uh, prime cap into either Wellington or money market. Well, money market is just money market. It's you're only make three percent or so. That's it. Right. The two, Wellington and the prime cap, are stock accounts, equity, mutual funds. So they're right. tied to the stock market. And you're saying you're going to retire and shortly? Within the next five years or so. Okay. Well, five years is a, is a long time. I would probably exit the money market for the time being. If uh-huh. you've got five years, I'd exit that money market, move it into the prime cap or the Wellington. Oh, okay. Because actually I was just trying to uh, figure out what would be uh, the safer of the... You know, the safest of those three is the money market. That's that's the safest. Uh-huh. But you're not going to get much return either. Right. You know, you presented to me, Art, that maybe five years. Yeah. Five years is a goodly amount of time. And I think uh-huh. in five years, the stock market's going to be higher than it is now, a lot higher. If that's all you have, I would probably be fully invested and then maybe in two or three years, start to get more conservative and more conservative, more conservative, until you get not so exposed to the market. Yeah, because basically that's what I was uh, trying to figure out here, Uh, you know, my exposure in the market as far as being in and if we had another downturn type of a thing. Art, I'll tell you this. The chances of us having a market like we had in 2000, 2001, 2003 are extremely slim, very rare. That's probably not going to happen. I never can say, you never can say it won't happen. Anybody Uh say it could, but you don't see that once in a generation or so. Uh-huh. Okay, so we've already had it, that big downturn. So the chances are good that we're not going to have it again. And I do think that the whole world is growing very strong, and uh-huh. that is going to make stock prices go up. Oh, okay. I would be more comfortable with the risk if I had five years. I'd be comfortable with the risk. As far as the uh, diversification goes, um, yes. w- uh, right now I'm probably about, like I say, about half in prime cap. Would you uh, divert any of that into, like, Wellington to, like, kind of, like, even them out? Well, what you need to do is look at, if you look at the holdings of both those companies, 
both those mutual funds, those are mutual funds at Vanguard, everybody. Right. That's what we're talking about. I think you'll find a lot of overlap. In other words, one company owns a lot of the same, both own a lot of the same stocks. Uh-huh. So yeah, I would, I would check out that. Go to Morningstar.com and just check the top 10 holdings of both companies and see how many how much overlap. I think you'll find there's a lot, and therefore, there doesn't really make a lot of difference which way you go. Oh, okay. Are the, are the funds uh, basically uh, like the same size as far as... Uh, They're both uh, both very large. Oh, okay. So the, uh, the downside is like mitigated a little bit. Well, almost own the whole stock market. So oh. if you think the stock market's going to go up, probably both those will go up. The stock oh, okay. market's going to go down, both those will go down. And uh, lastly, um, as far as uh, I've got like um, only about 5% in the uh, index 500. I was actually thinking about divesting that and, and putting it into the uh, either the Prime Cap or uh, Wellington. Well, what I would do before you did that, Art, is compare the performance of the S&P 500 the last, oh, I don't know, three years, five years, with those others two, and <laughs> see which one's been outperforming. Oh, okay. And I'd go with the one that's outperforming. Right now, you'd say that as far as the uh, money market goes, you'd probably put uh, some of those funds back into the market then? Yes, I would. I would. I would put start putting them back in the market. I wouldn't do it all at one time, but I'd do it over the next few months, yes. Oh, okay. Thanks, Art. Okay. Appreciate the Thanks call. A lot. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Chris from Philadelphia. Hey, I'm 36 years old, and currently 100% of my 401k contributions are going into a Fidelity 2050 target date fund. Given the current downturn and my long-term time horizon, I was contemplating either selling 50% of my balance and putting it into a Fidelity 500 index fund, or I could just change... 50% of my future contributions go to the Fidelity 500 index fund. Uh, my goal is to track closer to the S&P 500 during the rebound, given the potential for higher returns. Curious to get your opinion on either of those strategies. Thanks. Really appreciate the show. Well, I kind of like the second one better. Um, okay, that stock market, I just don't think it's done with its, its uh, bear market uh, moves. I think that, you know, uh, we are probably going to, suffer another pullback to retest of that low and you know i think if you dollar cost average into the index the s&p 500 index with new money i think that would work remember if it's 2050 if it's a 2050 fund that means it's mostly all exposed to the stock market so you're probably tracking most of the index as it is so it's not a big major change no matter what you do Appreciate the call. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99-CHART. Beginning our experience. We're here to answer your question. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey, the older I get, I start to realize the, the time in the market, and I wondered about um, the implications for Roth IRA for my child. I understand there's no minimum age, but they have to have earned uh, income, like taxable income. I didn't know if my business could pay them for one year and that would suffice and then they could contribute to a Roth IRA or how, how does that work? Thank you. Bye. Well, they can contribute or you can pay them if they're eligible for a job. I don't think you can do that for a young child because they, a young child can't 
have earned income because they can't technically have a job. So sure, I'm sure your business your business can absolutely employ uh, your child as long as uh, they meet the age requirements. I, w- I would imagine. Obviously, I'm not a an employer lawyer, but uh, or a labor lawyer. But uh, yeah, uh, that's the way I, I would imagine it would work. How about if we go to Jim and Chula Vista? Hi, Jim. Hi, how are you today? Good, thanks for calling. Sometimes I've heard you say the price of a stock is eighteen seventy-five. Yes. And you're going to place an order? Yes. But you don't buy it for eighteen seventy-five. you buy it cheaper? We try to, yes. Yeah, we always bid less. Okay, so in other words, when you get ready to do a trade, like on Scott Trade or something, it'll have a bid and ask price? Yep. Okay, I didn't understand that. That's what I wanted to find out. Yeah, on our stock market, all it is is an auction. Think about an auction. Someone is trying to sell you something, and someone else is trying to buy something. You guys got to get together on what price you want to pay for that. Well, you don't want to pay what someone is asking. You know? That's right. You always want to get it cheaper. That's right. We never, we never go to what they're asking. You know? I mean, but it's hard sometimes because we see what everybody is asking. You know, we see the depth of the market where it might be difficult for you as an individual to see it. We know that there's, oh, there's a bid there for this much and a bid there for this much. There's an offer for this much. You know, we see it. And we say, well, I'm going to put mine right here. And we wait to see if it comes and catches us. It's kind of like buying a house. Uh, they'll have an asking price. And then you say, well, that's a little steep, I think. I'll give you four exactly. fifty, but they're asking four eighty. That's exactly what it is, except that you're talking about a piece of real estate called a stock. Right. Very clarified. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jim. Appreciate the call. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial. Investar hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial, and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about Parallel Investing and the other KPP financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, I'm looking to buy a house in the next six to nine months, so I'm trying to decide where to keep my down payment money. I have about $16,000, so I was wondering... Should I keep it in savings or is an ETF a good idea? I look forward to hearing your advice. Thanks. Bye-bye. No, an ETF is not a good idea. Moving the money into the stock market is not a good idea if you're looking six to nine months down the road. Because who knows? You could be needing that money right when the market corrects. And so you lose 20%, 15% of that money when you need it for the down payment. So I would suggest you leave it in the savings account. If you had years, three, four, five years, then yeah, I would put it in the market. But not not if you're going to need it in a short period of time, within a year. No. Um, even two years is probably too short. So leave it in the money market, and you're just going to have to be unhappy with the returns because you're not going to get anything. Hey, guys. This is Peter from Columbus. Thanks for the show. I love it. I just had a quick question about options. So I've been trading options for about the last few months, and it's been going well for me. But I was just curious. I understand the concept of it pretty well, but as far as the time to expiration and things like that, and then the, the possibility of profit, does the length of time itself actually impact it? Um, now, I understand that there's you know, the expiration and, and strikes and all that stuff, but 
let's say I were to make a call, I were to buy an option for a week or an option for 45 days with the same strike price. Would that impact the potential profit that I could make outside of just the time to expiration or how does that formula kind of work? Hopefully I can get this answered. Really appreciate it. Thanks guys. Love the show. Great question. And the fact that you asked me that question makes me worried that you're actually trading options because you should know this is the basics of options. So when you're buying an option, you likely want to go farther out, meaning, you know, yes, your payoff could be higher or will be higher if you buy a shorter dated option, say a week or a month out, uh, because the time value that you're, uh, that you're paying for is very small relative to longer dated options, maybe two months, three months, six months, maybe even a year out, you're paying a much bigger premium for that option because you're buying a lot of time. And the odds are you're going to need that time. Now, you certainly could get a quick payoff and the stock might move rather quickly on you and you're going to get a big return. That's certainly possible. But when you buy more time, it gives you more time for your bet to eventually pay off. If you buy a week option, year a month option right where it expires relatively quickly you're up against the clock you're already on the clock for that to play out and if it doesn't you could lose all of your money rather quickly so i always say if you're going to buy options you want to be going further out in the expiration uh scale and if you're selling options whether that's a call or a put you want to be shorter you want to get that time value decay to be happening rather quickly so it depends on which side of the the ledger you're on the whether you're a buyer option or a seller of options but that's kind of how they work you can call right now and be part of the program let's hear about what your talking point is 888-99-CHART 888-992-4278 you can get through right now Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. 
You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey, Steve or Justin, thanks for taking my question. I am curious if switching my asset allocation during the current timing of the market right now would be a big mistake. What I'm talking about is inside my 401k, I currently have a target date fund, and the expense ratios are way higher than some of the funds I can pick on my own that will still diversify me as much as my target date fund. But I'm curious if I made that switch when the market's in a correction, am I going to lose out, or am I going to make that up on the funds that I would pick being lower cost, if that makes any sense. I love the show and can't wait to hear your answer on the podcast. Thanks again. Okay, target date of funds. Those are the funds that have the date 2025, 2040, 2045, way out there. They could be way out there or they could be close. And you didn't tell me what year your target date of fund matures. If it's way out there, it's fully in the market and probably holds a bunch of indexes, index funds inside it. If it's really close, then it gets, it moves, as it gets closer to the retirement date, they buy more and more bonds. So if you wanted to be in the market, your target date should be way out there. And it, you will lose nothing or gain nothing necessarily by moving from that target date to individual funds, depending on the funds themselves and how they operate, what kind of funds you're going to buy. You won't lose not anything or gain anything just by making the switch. So I would prefer that you make a switch. I don't like target dated funds because I don't like the fact that they're kind of invisible of what they're doing. And I don't like the fact that they automatically go to more bonds as the date gets closer because what if it's not a good time to be in the bonds? And I don't like bond funds. I like the individual bonds, but I don't like bond funds. So the reasons I don't like it. 888-99-CHART is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888-992-4278. Let's go to Carlos in Stockton. I'm 22 years old, have a pretty good job, and I've been interested recently in, like, e-trading. I really don't know nothing about it. Yeah, online, online trading? trading. on uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I have money to play with, but, you know, I just don't know the steps, and I really don't know nothing about it. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. So you have to start to educate yourself a little bit, you know. Anybody can go and buy a stock they heard about on TV, uh-huh. you know, or read about in a newspaper. But you'll be investing with the total lack of knowledge. You wouldn't know if when do you sell. You know what stocks you should buy. You're buying stocks because someone else said it was a good stock, and you're just yeah. buying it. That's not a good way to invest. You already made the first step, Carlos, by saying I have the interest. You have to start somewhere, and you're only 22. You're a young guy. You know you're just now getting getting get involved now. Peter Lynch has a pretty easy book to read. Okay, it's called Beating the Street. It's only about 200 pages. It's pretty simple. It tells you how he invests. It talks talks about invest in stocks that you know, like you're at the store and you see uh, some product that you saw that is just selling lot high cakes, like maybe Nike tennis shoes or something. Yeah. You know, he talks about very, very fundamental, easy stuff to just pay attention to the things around you and then you start there. That book is a very good book to start. It's a beginner book. It's by Peter Lynch, L-Y-N-C-H. As beating the street. It's a very, very good book. 
for a beginner. And, you know, Carlos, come to our conferences. Uh, you just need to start listening to this show. You'll see that I'll talk about basics. And I'll tell you one thing, Carlos, that is true no matter what. Stocks go up if their earnings go up. I know it sounds simple. It really <laughs> is simple. But there's so many stocks that people buy where they don't have any earnings or have any hope of earnings or it's just a story that sounds good. But over the long haul, all stocks go up if their earnings go up. So they have to have their sales go up and their earnings per share. And everything's done in earnings per share. There's so many shares in the stock. You know, if it has a million shares, what is its earnings per share? It's a dollar per share. If it makes a dollar per share this year, it's going to make a dollar twenty per share next year, and it makes another dollar fifty the year after. That stock will eventually go up because the earnings are going up. So there's just one cardinal rule. If I could beat that into your head, <laughs> you will be successful over the long haul. That's what I'm talking about. Let's start with the earnings. If earnings go up, then the stock will go up. And you can get that earnings almost anywhere on the net. Carlos, good luck and keep tuned into the station. And I think you'll pick it up. It just takes some time. That's all. Thank you very much. Sir. Th thanks, Carlos. Have a great day. Let's go to Chris in San Jose. How you doing, Chris? Just fine, Steve. I had a question for you um, regarding uh, day trading. I sure. did not want to get involved in day trading, but while trading and buying some stocks, I got some warning from my trading platform saying that, potential day trade. And when I talked to my broker, they were saying something about um, if you have less than, I think it was $25,000, you couldn't trade more than five trades in five days or something. Does that sound right to you? That's only because of your platform, your particular platform. Who you? Do you want to tell me who you're using? Um, I don't not, know if I would get in trouble for doing Okay, yeah. no, don't tell me that. No, that that's that particular platform. Let's say you're using Scott Trade or you're using E-Trade. They have right. their own rules. You go to somebody else, and there won't be any rules. You can go to somebody else, they'll have different rules. So, Chris, okay. it's only that platform. They're trying to discourage you from day trading. That's why they're doing it. Okay, yeah, because the way it was presented to me is if it was some sort of SEC rule, and I was wondering about that. There isn't. That's wrong. There isn't. There is a, a, a three-day clearing that they could wait three days, but even that, that's, that's old thinking. They're, they don't have to wait three days, but a lot of companies still do. In other words, when you do a day trade, you're buy and sell, you know, the, for them to click before you can use that money again. They got to wait three days. That used to right. be the, the old rule, but that's not necessarily so anymore. But a lot of platforms say well, you got to wait three days. They're discouraging day trading because they think people can't, you know, they're too many people losing money. Yeah, it's well, different. I'm, not, I'm not trying to day day trade, but it just came out that way, you yeah. know. So at any rate, uh, yeah, yeah I, I just wanted to find out basically what the real the real deal was i appreciate yeah it. it's just a, it's just their their particular rules sec has uh guidelines for everybody okay and you can interpret those guidelines differently and one of those things is you're supposed to know your customer that's one of the guidelines you're supposed to uh uh re make sure you reduce the amount of risk give the, the client the best uh fill on their prices there's all these guidelines and so the companies are left with, well, I have to set up rules to fall within these guidelines. And the SEC doesn't tell you what rules, so you kind of have to make up your own rules, and then they come in and audit and say, I accept your rules. So they've just got, I think they just got strict, that's all. That particular I see. Okay, well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate the call. Our Talk mission 
is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Hey, Steve and Justin. My name is Calvin from Los Angeles. Acknowledging that now is probably not the right time to do this because of the coronavirus concerns, but I'd long-term like to get some international exposure in my IRA, and I'm wondering if you guys have a couple of recommendations for how best to do that. Thank you. Well, I can't give you specific recommendations on what to buy overseas, uh, but buying a, a strong ETF if you don't want to do the individual company research uh, in different regions, I, I would like uh, I would like Asia X China. I think that would be a great type of fund to own if you're looking for foreign exposure. Europe is certainly uh, going to have trouble, but they're they're cheap. Uh, the, the area is cheap, uh, so you're right. It isn't a great great time from a timing perspective, but I think we're you have much better values overseas. And I think increasing and looking for opportunities to increase your exposure overseas is certainly a smart thing to do. Now on Uber, Uber is now in a downtrend. It continues in a downtrend from its IPO. And it's now at $30 a share. And as long as we have the coronavirus scare in the world, this is going to suffer, right? Less people are going to want to be in confined spaces with people that they don't know who may be contagious or, you know, we're in a, in a, you know, in a car where a lot of other people who may be carrying the coronavirus were sitting, right? And therefore I think people are going to be taking Ubers less, traveling less, et cetera. So certainly a poor time to be uh, owning share price, uh, shares of Uber. But I do think there is some long-term value here. I think they can turn a profit. Uh, they should be able to turn a profit as long as their uh, businesses run a little bit better. I think you need to shed Uber Eats. Uh, and once they shed Uber Eats, I think you're going to see some improvement in their operations. Uh, but I, And I think they will do that over the next year or two. So certainly a company that I would have my eye on, but I would not buy it here at $32. I would look for the low 20s. That's the area that I'm eyeing Uber, and that's where I would like to own it. Let's go to Jack and go to Nigel. How you doing, Jack? Good. Thanks, Steve, for uh, taking my call. Thanks for making it. Yeah, my uh, question or uh, thing is about uh, retirement. I retired uh, four years ago at 62. Okay. And what I've experienced is probably like a lot of people have. You're not prepared for a lot of increases that come your way, like Medicare, right. medical insurance that drops, and you have uh, subsidiaries that have to be picked up. Yep. Also, uh, inflation and other things. So my thing is, you know, you're talking about you need at least 80% of what you were living on before you retired. Yes. I would plan for 110%. That way, <laughs> that way. <laughs> That'd be know, nice. No surprises. That's right. In other words, you're saying in your experience that you actually need just as much as when you're working oh. as you as when you're retired your expenses do not go down absolutely they, and then you have they to do keep not up. go down jack i've heard people tell me this before many times it goes up not because you're necessarily you know living a more lavish lifestyle but what happens is you have a lot of freedom and there's several things freedom means well i'm going to go have some fun fun sometimes costs money the other side is what you pointed out well as we all get older medical costs tend to go up not down Dramatically. Yeah. And some of it, you know, if you have an illness, you need to be prepared for that. You know, that's one of my biggest fears, Jack, is, uh, you know, Medicaid, Medi-Cal, Medicare. How much is that going to pay? 
And how much do I have to pay? It's going to get less and less unless they get this thing corrected. Yeah. Do you see that happening? Well, I I have no clue, so I would say no. Yeah, I think they're going to make us pay a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Because where are they going to get the money? Taxes. Yeah. (laughs) Or raise taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Jack, appreciate the question. Appreciate the comment. I appreciate that. Yeah, everybody. Just, you know, in retirement, you need to have money or you're not going to retire. And I'll say this. You don't have to retire. Retirement is not necessarily what we all think it is, where you just stop working and you kick back and you don't do anything. No, you might retire from what you don't want to do to something you do want to do and still get paid. You might cut back your hours, but not truly retire, retire, maybe work part-time, or have special projects and become a consultant. There's different ways to do it, and I would suggest that you don't just cut it, cut and dry. I don't think you should just cut it off completely, because that's a shock to your system, trust me on this. Both your financial system and your mental system, you know, all of a sudden stop working. It's hard to do. A quick reminder, if there's a term that you hear mentioned on the program, but you're unclear about what it means or you have a question about it, we want you to ask. It's very likely that you're not the only one with that same question. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen, Justin. My name is Justin also uh, here calling from Florida. I just have a question about this new CARES Act incentive on being able to borrow from your 401k. I'm 33 years old. I have, I think you can borrow up to 100K. And they're waiving a 10% penalty fee. And they're even letting you avoid paying taxes if you pay it all within three years, I think December of 2023. So it seems pretty enticing to do it. I planned on avoiding the taxes because I know that'll probably be like 30% taken out of me by maybe doing a loan, paying that back and dollar cost averaging back into the market uh, over three years. I kind of want to see if I can invest that money maybe into some properties, try to get some kind of passive income going. And then this way I'm able to dollar cost average back into the market over three years with all this volatility going back on. Just wondering what your thoughts are and if you think it's a good idea. Appreciate any help. I'll be listening to the show. Thanks. Oh, it's an interesting idea. It's a high risk idea because can you pay back that $100,000 over that three year period as well, right? So three years goes by rather quick. And what type of risk are you taking with that? Uh, are you just going to buy a property when property prices are expensive? I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a great idea. Uh, the, the point of that whole loophole that was created was to help sustain people in tough economic times. Maybe they lose their job or whatever. So I wouldn't really play that game. Uh, it's it a little complex, a little risky. Uh, I would be more patient and uh, I wouldn't take advantage of that unless you had to to pay bills, but I wouldn't use it to speculate. Let's go to Brent in San Diego. How are you doing, Brent? Hey, just fine. Thanks for calling. You know, I had a question on the PEG ratio, the PEG, Price of Earnings to Growth Ratio. Yes, sir. What's it for? How do you use it? And what's a good one? What's a bad one? Very good question. We use GEP, but somebody used, many people use PEG. Same thing, but just the inverse, okay? GPE is Growth to the Price Earnings Ratio. PEG, P-E-G, is the P-E ratio divided by the growth. So it's the exact same thing, but the inverse. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. We like to use GPE. The good number, you asked me what a good number is? Two on a GPE. On the PEG, it would be 0.5. 
and that would be two times the growth rate of the P.E. ratio. The P.E. ratio is 10, you want a stock to be growing at 20%. The P.E. ratio is 30, you want a stock that's growing 30%. What does it do? A company cannot have a P.E. unless it has E, earnings. So if you have a PEG, that means you are buying a company that at least has earnings. Now, it's a question of how fast it's growing those earnings. The better the PEG ratio, the lower the number on the PEG, P-E-G, 0 0.5, 0 0.4, 0 0.3, 0 0.2, the better it is. That means a higher growth it is to the P-E ratio. Now, the GPE, which is the same thing but the opposite, you want a 2, 2.5, 3, 3.5, up, 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 the higher the number, the better on the GPE. So it ensures growth, Brent ensures growth and earnings and a stock you're buying. That's what it does. So they're very, very important. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, it's Steve or Justin. My name's Eric, and I've been listening to your show for about a year now, and I've really learned a lot. I thank you for that. And I was wondering if sometime on the program, you could talk a little bit about SPACs or special purpose acquisition companies. I guess specifically what I'm wondering is how do these compare to like a traditional IPO as far as are they more risky, less risky? And I know you've talked in the past about not investing in an IPO until it's been out for at least six months for the insiders to kind of get out and prices to regulate or whatever. Do you have any kind of general guidelines for companies that become public through the SPAC? Thank you, and I'll listen for your answer. Great question. Now, SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. What it does is it raises capital, maybe a few billion dollars, and the idea is to go out and buy another company, buy an actual company. The SPAC doesn't have initially any company in it. It's just a, an asset uh, with cash. And then they use that cash to go make an acquisition. And oftentimes the price of that SPAC will pop dramatically. And this all has to do, it's financial engineering. They're limiting the supply of shares that are out there, right? Because the owners of that SPAC, owners of the shares typically are closely held. So when the supply of shares are very, very low and they go make an acquisition and he wants to buy into that acquisition, they're chasing after a very select few number of shares and that really explodes the value of that SPAC. So, you know, if you want to play that, that game, that, that financial engineering game that a SPAC does, then that's, that, that's fine. Um, but it's also very risky. They might make a poor acquisition. They may not keep as many shares held to the vest as they had hoped. Uh, there are a lot of risks to it, uh, but it's definitely not an investment vehicle. It's a speculative vehicle only. 
Okay, 888-99-CHART is my number, 888-992-4278. Let's go to Scott in Temecula. Hi, Scott, how are you doing? Um, I am wondering about a 529 plan for my child. Okay. And uh, I was under the understanding that there was another program that you could do. What my concern is, is my child decides not to go to college. What happens to that money? And then is there another plan to where he could use it for, like, in a home and or college, whatever it is that he chooses? Yeah, very good question, uh, Scott. A 529 plan is a state-sponsored plan. Each state has its own 529. Scott, are you concerning one to California or Illinois or where? I am in California, and... Uh, I can purchase anywhere, correct? Yes. You don't have to buy a California plan. Matter of fact, California plan is not the best. It's right. Illinois is the reason why I even mentioned Illinois because I know they have a good plan. Okay. Okay, let's talk about the difference between a 529 plan and what's called a Coverdell, IRS, IRA. Uh, used to be called the uh, educational IRA. It's called a Coverdell IRA or Coverdell ESA. I, I, they, you know, they're, all, they're trying to make it confusing. Uh -huh. But just think about it. It's called a Coverdell, and it's an IRA-type plan. Okay. Now, Coverdell, you can put up to $2,000 a year in it for your child, which is much more limited than a 529. 529, you could put up a lot more money. Uh -huh. Okay, so there's that issue. But a 529 plan has to be used for accredited college education only. A Coverdell can be used for any educational program. Your child is a boy or girl? Boy. And he wanted to go to a beauty school? Yeah. You could use the Coverdell money for that. He Not wanted yet. to go to a truck driving school? You can use the Coverdell money for that. Gotcha. But you couldn't use the 529 because that's for an accredited college. We're talking about Berkeley or UCLA or somebody. Right. You know. Big what difference. if we did a 529 plan and he decided that he did not want to go to college at all? Okay. What happens to the account? Okay. Then the 529 plan has to be rolled over to somebody else to be used for college. You can take the money, but you will be penalized. Probably a great deal. Yeah, you do not want to do that. Okay, Scott, the best way to do this is have three children and take one 529 plan. Right. If the first one doesn't use it, roll it over the second one. <laughs> the second right, one doesn't right. use it, roll it over the third one. Are you going to have more than one child? I would like to. I'm trying to uh, talk my wife into it, but uh, <laughs> maybe I can use this as a, as a hook. Okay, there you go. I would suggest you start with a Coverdell because you can even use that for, like, elementary school, a private school. You can use it for, like, computers and books. Okie dokie. Good luck, uh, you know, and, uh, and Scott, don't think the laws won't change. There's going to be changes as he gets older and older and older. There'll be changes. Oh, yeah. You know, keep track of them. All right, thank you. Thanks, Scott. Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. You want to contact me directly? Easy. Leave a message in the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm money manager Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for listening. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 
1-800-227-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART. 